Morning, everyone. As Fiona said, this week we start the season of Advent, which continues right up until Christmas Eve. Technically until the sun sets on Christmas Eve, but we'll get there. And uh, the focus on uh, Advent is, uh, starts actually where we finish. So the Advent series, the cycle that we go through, um, we follow in the church year, um, commences with Advent, so church we get to have two New Year's Day. Um, today is actually New Year's Day in terms of the church year. Uh, but also it f- focuses on the coming of Christ, but it starts with the return of Christ. We know at Christmas it's the uh, coming, first coming of Christ as the baby and uh, entry into the world, but it actually starts at the end of the story. You know sometimes some movies or even some books will give you a scene where it actually shows you where it all ends up. Then it goes back with, you know, 24 hours earlier or two years earlier or whatever it may be. So the church year is actually like that. It actually starts at the end. Then we work back to how we got there as we go through the cycle of the church year. So the focus on this Sunday and uh, as we commence Advent is on the return of Jesus. But sometimes when you have those books or the movie that shows you a scene, it may not be the very last scene. It could be the penultimate scene, a sort of a final stage, but there's still some things to work themselves out as the cycle continues. And that's the way it is with uh, the church here. Just to be slightly confusing, it's the end of the beginning. Um, so all human history up to this stage and up until the return of Christ, the Bible regards as the beginning because there's still a lot more to come. <laughs> um, so uh, I'll try and unpack it a little bit more as we go. So this is sort of a, a link Sunday. It links the end of our church year cycle. We've followed the whole story of salvation and it links us with uh, where the coming of Jesus in particular is absolutely central to that. So the first reading we had um, is from Isaiah uh, 64, but we need to see how um, Isaiah is speaking into a time when hopes were high. They had been in uh, captivity in Babylon. They had been freed by the Persians who had came through and the king of Persia um, allowed the, uh, a certain number of the people to return to Jerusalem, gave them resources to rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. So we've actually touched on that a number of times in the past year. So their hopes were we have returned, um, but things were still difficult, and they were still being troubled by neighbours and troubled by dissent. And uh, it hadn't quite worked out as being the golden age that they'd hoped for, revisiting the time of, say, King David. And uh, the people, as picked up in this um, part of Isaiah, are having one of those moments. Um, There's a whole series of moments that people might experience in life. Um, Wendy Matthews, Phil and I went and saw the... uh, Grace Knight and Wendy Matthews, two veterans of the music industry on Friday night. And Wendy Matthews, halfway through the concert, said, oh, I'm having one of those moments. (laughs) I don't know. Um, 
the people of Israel were having a moment and their moment was one of those bright ideas, you know, God, why don't you do this moments? You have occasional moments like that where you think, God, look, can I give you advice, God? You know, now would be a really good time to come down and slay those people over there or come down and just sort out all the problems in our world. And uh, you might have had those moments. I don't know if we do. Well, um, not, a, not a really wise place to get into. But occasionally throughout the Bible, various people have moments where they try to give God advice. There's a few occasions in the Gospels where Peter tries to give Jesus some advice. It didn't end well. At this moment, the people were saying, look, we can tell you who the troublemakers are. We can give you a list. There's those, that group over there and that group over there and those people there are grumbling a lot. So maybe if we come down and just sort those people out, life would be a lot better. So as it comes into, then they pause for a moment and realise, um, well, actually, now you think about it, if you're going to sort out all the problems, there's just a small chance that I might be one of those problems. And hence they go through that moment of realising... Um, well, if God returns, then chances are we're all going to have to be give account. And that's going to be a pretty decisive time. Um, so as the God responds to this advice, this call, God, can you come and sort out all the problems in the people and show how awesome you are? And realising, well, God's awesomeness actually comes and it's in our direction as well as everyone else. The first bit of advice that God gives is to wait. Wait. And goes back into the history and says the time in the, when the time is right, God has acted, but in God's time. Now, I don't know if it's just a male thing. Maybe a male thing, but we're not renowned at being particularly good at waiting. You know, if there's a problem around the place... I will reach for my tool belt, usually a hammer, and I'm going to sort it. Yeah? We like to be active. We like to be doing things to try and uh, solve the problems. Maybe it's just, a, I don't know if it's a male thing of a certain age. but um, So I know if I get the task in hand, we can usually call on some volunteers and there's a job to be done, a ladder to be held. We did it yesterday, got the... The Christmas lights up, and we wore our safety hats. Just, just saying to certain people, wore our safety hats. Um, but sometimes that's out of our impatience. We actually find it hard to sit there and see something that's not quite right, something that needs to be fixed. We want to leap into that problem-solving space. And God's answer is to say it's actually more complicated than that. And you actually may cause more trouble or more complications than you realise when you leap into that problem-solving mode. So the first assurance that is given, and it's given a number of times throughout the Bible, says, well, look at God's track record. God has known when the time is right. And when God has acted, it was not only the right time, but it was all that was needed at that place. God is pretty much a lot better at the job of being God than we are. It's actually not a bad um, apologetic 
um, response sometimes when people are saying, well, why doesn't God do this? Or why doesn't God do that? And everything else. And to ask the genuine question. If you were God, what would you do? As I've been reflecting on the news, and I'm not finding the news particularly encouraging these days. There's an awful lot of things on our list, I'm sure. Rick will pick them up in our community prayers. Our world needs prayer. But it's actually not a simple question of sort out those people and that people and that group because they're the problem. Because the question comes back, we all contribute in our own way and we can't just brush that under the carpet. So not only does the the passage in, in Isaiah say, look at God's track record, look at God's way in which he has acted and been decisive and there is a journey that we are going on, It's also saying, and while you're at it, look at a mirror. And as you look in the mirror, the only appropriate response is repentance. No matter how much we try to pick up our tool belts to fix things, sometimes the problems are within us. And we need to recognise that we're beyond fixing, except for God's grace. So that's where sort of Isaiah 64, the first passage, lands us to say, well, if we want to start with responding, the first response is prayer, and the first response in our prayer is repentance, acknowledging that we are far from perfect, and it's only in God's grace that that can be dealt with. It's not a bad place to start with our Advent season, is it? As we begin to think through how do we prepare ourselves for the season to come, uh, we reminded ourselves last week that uh, that was the marker stir up, time to get the Christmas puddings in hand, all those lists of things to be done. Do we not be so busy in that Advent space that we don't be still before God and thank God for his forgiveness, his, that God hears and responds. And uh, that's why Christ came into the world. When we come to the second passage that is set aside for this Advent Sunday, Mark 13, it's one of those chapters in Mark's Gospel that uh, does a big picture look at um, what God is doing in the world. But it's once you get down to some of the details, it's very hard to work out exactly what Jesus is talking about. It's rehearsing it. The biggest distinction is the difference between the days plural, and the day, the decisive day. So we are living in the last days, plural. It's a whole season of time that went from the uh, ascension of Jesus right to when Christ will return, is known as the last days. And those days have various characteristics, various seasons, as we would see. But there's also the day which is the decisive day of the Lord, which in the Old Testament was initially a day of battle when Christ, when Yahweh would come into battle and be decisive in bringing salvation for his people and judgment upon those who are opposing it. What happened in the Old Testament, and it had an echo of it in Isaiah 64, is that people were praying for another day of the Lord. Lord, come again and defeat our enemies in battle and save us. And in Amos and some of the other prophets saying, be careful what you wish for, because in this day you are also accountable. 
And if you're not, things are not right between you and God, then you'll be on the wrong side of that equation. You'll be under God's judgment. So that language of praying for the return of, of Christ can only come from a place in which we have um, received the grace of God, we've sought to live it out, to, to be genuine followers of Jesus in all that that has brought in that journey, then we seek the Lord to come. But at that moment, all those who have not responded to that invitation to come and receive Jesus, it will be too late. That day is the moment in which a lot will become too late. So God in his grace is allowing a lot of time and what for us can seem like a long period of time to God is just a day, hours and years and a bit more about that in in the coming weeks. So what can we expect at this time? And here it's people are looking at Jesus and are asking the question, so when the kingdom comes, what would it look like? And Jesus' preferred way of speaking himself is the phrase, the son of man. Son of man can simply mean a human, some of, some of a human, uh, but it also can be this heavenly figure that it's, uh, sort of a, enters into the narrative in Daniel chapter 7. And that's a moment in which the, uh, the heaven, the courts are seated, the books are opened, and the son of man comes to enact this moment of judgment. So Jesus says, Uh, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. But about that day and hour, no one knows the time. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, only the Father. Be aware. Keep alert. There was a great bit of graffiti that captured my imagination when I was a teenager. Um, I used to put up everywhere... I got the punctuation wrong with keep alert. I used to have keep a alert. I was wondering what alert was, but whatever it was, I wanted to cry and I wanted to have one. But no, it's actually keep alert. Um, and the whole point is that we are to be mindful that this return, this accountability, the, this decisive moment will come, but we are not to be preoccupied with trying to double-guess God of when it's going to be. There have been a a long list of proposed dates of people who claim to have put the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together to all the prophecies in the Bible and saying it's going to come this date and that date and that date. When so far, every one of those dates hasn't actually happened. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Um, so that whole notion that we could, there is some sort of cryptic puzzle that those who are particularly enlightened can put together, it's quite clear it's not about knowing when, it's knowing that this moment will come, but there is work to be done in the meantime. So where does that take us? Well, first of all, Jesus talks about the messiness of his own times. So in the, um, Jesus talks about the temple, and it's been a 20-year project to rebuild the temple from King Herod and on from there. Um, was the enormous great reconstruction of the second temple. Not one stone, Jesus says, will be left upon the other. All will be thrown down. So the temple, um, and this isn't the actual temple, this is a model reconstruction 
if you look closely. But you get an idea that it's a very significant feature and it's a symbolic version of the tabernacle writ large, a big version of what was a tent. And it's divided into a series of courtyards that would keep um, the Gentiles at a distance, then the women at a distance, and then a space for the uh, servers and the assistants in the temple, the priests, and at the very centre, that high part, was the Holy of Holies. And that represented how uh, God is God and no one else is. It's a unique space that was entered into only upon very elaborate um, rituals. And Jesus, and, and this is the crown piece, people would travel from all parts of the world to come and see this temple. And Jesus got himself into serious trouble by saying, this temple that's taken all this time to rebuild is going to be destroyed. And three days later, it'll be built up again. That was the charge that was brought against him when he was brought before the courts. He was saying that this temple was going to be destroyed. Now, Jesus actually says God's presence isn't contained within a structure. Jesus himself becomes the tabernacle. He becomes the presence of God. So Jesus identifies himself as the true dwelling place of God. And he was foreshadowing his own death and resurrection. Now in Mark 13, there's a whole lot of allusions to things that will happen. And people have different ideas of what Jesus was talking about. Was it about his crucifixion and resurrection? Is it about his ascension? Is it coming about the destruction of Jerusalem? Um, I'm one of those who sort of bundles those all together. And says a whole bundle of events that culminate in the establishing of the kingdom that Jesus uh, uniquely could do. Yes, his death. Yes, his resurrection. Yes, his ascension. Yes, the continuing building of the work of God through his people, the church. Um, But the reality is that the temple was destroyed um, in the war against the Romans. And in the year um, 69 and up to 70, Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed and only one wall remained. And that was a fulfilment of the prophecies that Jesus came, that the time would come. If that is your hope, then these bricks will be destroyed. These rocks will be uh, destroyed. And uh, only a remnant of one part of the wall remains. But in all these things, it's um, a danger to become too precise to say there's a roadmap here we can follow and what's happening at the present time is all part of the roadmap. Well, it's part of the story, yes, but we can't work out what the exact roadmap looks like at a later time frame. Other than the fact that just as Jesus anticipated, so events developed. And we come to, we're in those Uh, what's called the now and the not yet stage, the time where the kingdom has come, we're living within the life of the kingdom reign of God, but it is not yet in the sense that the fullness that will come with the return of Christ has yet to return. So, as we start our Advent season, let's remember that we're not there yet. There is a fullness that is to come. And in particular, with our theme of hope, there's two things I want us to to take away with us in our thoughts as we go in journey through the Advent season. 
together. First of all, is that the coming of the clouds is um, it's what's called apocalyptic language. It's language that is using um, identifiable imagery, but don't get too pressed on exactly what that'll look like. So if I was to describe to you, you know what a storm looks like? Who was awake during some of the storm last week? Uh, not to be, yeah. We know the feel. When the clouds gather, there's a pressure. There's a, there's a feeling about it. If you try to describe the feeling, it's really hard. I mean, our dog was giving a pretty good narr- narrative on, you know, <laughs> something's happening and I'm not happy um, with the thunder and the lightning and the clouds. It is a big event, is the imagery it's saying. And when the return of Christ, it will be a, a big event that will get everyone's attention. A decisive moment is happening. So that's how the imagery tends to work. But where does Isaiah finish up? With that uh, out sort of bit of a rant from some of the people of Israel saying, God, look, you know, can you just do your God bit and defeat all the other people? Um, and God says, well, actually she doesn't say it quite so politely as I would say it, but, you know, I would say, like, yeah, nice suggestion, but uh, yeah, no, um, I've, I've got it in hand. Where it ends up with not so much go and get your toolkit and solve the problems, my Tim, the tool man response, I'm not inviting you to comment on that. But this is where Isaiah ends up. But now, O Yahweh, you are our father. We are the clay. We are the work. And you are our potter. And we are all the work of your hand. Let God be God in doing that work. And if the clay wants to fight back against the potter, I suspect it's going to end up messy. Let God be God in our lives. Jesus says the seasons will come and go in these days. Now, again, it's an experience we can all relate to, and especially at this time of year. Seasons have their cycles. I'm not going to put it to a vote who's, you know, what's your favourite season? Some love winter, some love spring, some love summer. Can't quite think why, but anyway. Um, And others like autumn. Seasons come and go, and we find ourselves in history in different seasons. That is the way of the world, Jesus says. Just ride it out. We are going through some seasons of anxiety globally. But God is there. We will ride it out. But the other truth we hold on to and that Jesus points us to is that there is a goal. There is a light at the end of history, at the end of the tunnel. And whatever that light is, we don't know other than it's where God is. That's why it's bright. That's why it's full of life. That's why it is full of hope. We're not in that space yet. But God is taking us closer and closer to the fullness of that brightness of light. We're not having it this week because it's a communion service and it's a little bit longer in the way in which we're doing things. But next week, uh, we're going to have a song which I think Raquel introduced me to. Um, the dawn coming, shadow of the dawn. 
That's the phrase. Uh, it's a great song about how we are living in the shadow of the dawn. It's on the horizon. It's gradually getting stronger, but we've still got the shadows around us. And that is why we have hope in that space. So that's our start of the season of Advent as we take a big step back and realise that we can't force the pace. We certainly can't give God advice as to how it should be done. But we should trust God. His track record is absolutely faithful. God knows what is needed by way of where the history is going and where the creation is going and where all those who are in that place. And the invitation is a here and now invitation to hear and respond. Don't leave it to a stage in which it gets too late. As always, we have pastoral prayers available after the service. Um, And if others would like to have some time just to sit and explore How do I ensure that I'm responding to the invitation that is before us? We're always very ready and open to, uh, to share in that space. Amen.